I will take you from the nations. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is David Jones, and you're listening to From Stone to Flesh. Yom Teruah. What's Yom Teruah got to do with fire? More than you think, actually. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Yom Teruah because, well, it's a day for shouting. It's a day for rejoicing. Again, fire? Well, if you touch fire, you're going to yell, right? There's something to do with this, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah, see, there's something that we've got to see here. There's a time of preparation that we're currently in, okay? If when, from we entered the sixth biblical month, the month of Elul, there's 40 days to Yom Kippur. Well, what happens before Yom Kippur? Ten days before Yom HaKippurim is Yom Teruah. So while the emphasis in these 40 days is towards Yom HaKippurim, Day of Atonement, Ten days before that, we're also hitting a day of shouting, a day of rejoicing. Well, what's that about? What's that for? Right? And so the reason why we're teaching on these now is so that we know what we're rehearsing for. You know, the Moedim are supposed to be rehearsals. Because let's face it, we cannot truly 100% do everything really accurate until he comes back. Okay? When he returns, he'll tell us, okay, look, y'all wrong. Right? But, and he'll show us how, how to do it, right? Until then, we have rehearsals. Why do you have a rehearsal? So that we have ideas of what's going on when things get here, you know? I find it funny how people are like, well, someday I'm going to learn Hebrew. Or just like, well, you know what? I'll just get it when we're in the kingdom. You're going to be awful funny looking around going, what's everybody saying, you know? If we're really excited about these things, let's at least start to get involved in it now. You know, because that's where we're going to start changing and start seeing things. Now, who am I to speak about Hebrew? Guys, I am not conversant in Hebrew. Trust me, okay? But I do study it, right? And so there's, there's things that we grow and things that we learn in along the way. And that's what this is about. We are rehearsing for the time to come. And rehearsals, <laughs> if you've ever been a rehearsal for something, whether it's like, like a play or a show, a wedding, anything, you know you're not going to get it perfect in the rehearsal. And all you do is you're like, man, I just hope when the time comes, we nail it, you know? And uh, then when things happen, you know, a lot of times, not everybody notices, not everybody catches, but you know, you're like, man, we could have done this better, could have done that. But what's the point of the whole thing? The point of the whole thing is we rehearse with the intent and the heart to do the best we can. And when the time comes, we release it into his hands. See, and, and this is saying how sometimes when, when we come to the Father, it's like, man, I've got, I've got to get it perfect. And, and we put this pressure on ourselves, and, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to do our best to honor him. We need to give our best to honor him. But if we're not careful, we can beat ourselves up if we know that we fell short of our best. And does that, does that honor the Father? See, so we do it wholeheartedly and let him handle the rest of it. Okay? So that's what I'm looking at going in. It really is about an issue of the heart. Okay? So we're going to talk about Yom Teruah. Yom is the word for day. Teruah is a shout. Okay? Uh, we call it the Feast of Trumpets because it's the sound the trumpet makes. Right? It's a day for shouting. We'll cover more of that in a minute. All right? So first, let's get a foundation. In Leviticus 23, you find the Moedim are given, the Moedim are established. And it's funny because you ask a lot of people, so what's the first of the Moedim? And they'll say, Passover. 
not really. <laughs> because if you look, the very first thing that it says, uh, Leviticus 23, verses 1 and 2, tell Adonai said to Moshe, tell the people of Israel the designated times of Adonai, which you are to proclaim as how, uh, my, are my holy convocations, my designated times. If you go on to read, the very first thing it lists is Shabbat. The very next verse, actually. And so what we learn is that in coming to his appointed times, appointed seasons, we first must acknowledge we have to rest in him. We have to acknowledge that, that, that we have to put ourselves in his hands and learn to rest in him, that he's going to teach us the rest of it along the way. And that's how we do it. Okay? So designated times, it means he sets the times, we don't. Now, we, we argue a lot about when that time is. Okay, but, uh, but what we need to see is we need to follow our convictions, but let's not be divisive in our convictions. Make sense? So we need to follow what we feel the Father is telling us to do, but let's not be divisive about the way we believe. Because, again, does that really show the heart of the Father as well? When Yeshua says he's wanting us to gather, not divide, right? See, even he didn't like math. You know, no. So we need to gather. Yeshua says, if you're not gathering with me, you're scattering, right? There was no in-between there. We're either gathering or scattering. So here he's saying that these, these designated times, they're gatherings. They're calling out places. And it starts with Shabbat, right? Let's look at a few things. Holy convocations, the word is mikra. Mikra. From the word kara is what we're looking at. This is also like vayikra. What's vayikra? Leviticus. What does it translate as? Vayikra is, and he called. So the whole book of Leviticus is a calling out of people to approach him. We kind of look at that different than saying, oh, it's just a bunch of laws for the Levites. No, it's about Yahweh calling out his people to show them how to approach and how to live a holy life. Okay, so this mikra, mikra, the mem in front of a word often means from. So from calling out. So if something's called out, what do you do when you're called out? You respond, right? Especially if God calls you out, right? If he calls to you, you respond. So here, it's just something that is called out. And when he calls you out, is it ever truly private? <laughs> you can try to hide, <laughs> but you can't. <laughs> when he calls to you, he finds you, you know? And so when he calls to you, there, there's a public place there. This is why he says the mikra. These are public gatherings. Rehearsals is what they're saying. Do you do a rehearsal in private? No, there's got to be other people there. I mean, so there's a lot of things involved in that. It means a, an assembly. An assembly is with his family, with his people, right? Okay, it also means a convocation or a reading. Why would it be a, a reading? Because what do we do when we gather together? What are we supposed to be reading? His word. Right? I mean, we see in the scriptures when they had these, the, these convocations that they all gathered together. I mean, here's one. Every seven years, they all gathered in Jerusalem to hear what read? The Torah. How much of the Torah? I'm sorry, how much? All the Torah. How long do you think that would take? And we complain about an hour. In air conditioning. You know? <laughs> so, so here we have, you know, he's calling us out to partake of things that he desires for us, okay? He's calling us out. And he says they're designated times. We're designated time, the word moed is, you know, moedim is a word plural for the, for the appointed times. Moed is a word for appointed time, and it is an assembly. 
something that is appointed, something that you put on your calendar. Okay? It's not just something, well, we'll have a meeting, we'll kind of pencil it in. No. A moed is something that is it's it's there. You 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 put it in uh you put it in pen. Uh, after all, Yahweh put it in stone. Oh wait, you'll get that later. <laughs> so he he wants us to remember these things. Okay, these are appointed times that he set, he set times for us to gather and assemble. Kind of interesting as well, because the word ed, here we have moed, the word ed is the uh, same word we get for witness, same word we get for testimony. It's one of the same words we use for eternity. We have the, some of the blessings, leolam va'ed. Ed is eternity. It is forever. It is ongoing. And so the moed, what did I say the mem was? The mem was from. From. So from eternity. How can something be from eternity? Well, God always was, wasn't he? Did he say that the lamb was slain from before the foundation of the world? He was eternity past, he is eternity future, and he is. We have a hard time comprehending that because we have a beginning, we have an end. He doesn't. Okay? So, but these times and these things that he, that he gave to us, they were pre-existing you. And I mean you, not just in like you as a person, but you as in mankind. Okay? These things pre-existed you. And so they were given to us and revealed to us as we live, right? These were things that were from eternity to eternity. Leviticus 23. If we go through the Moedim, this is what we have. First, we have Shabbat, then we have Pesach. What's Pesach? Passover. In the, in the midst of Passover, there are three separate times that fall in the same week but there are three separate occasions we lump together as Pesach. We have Passover, we have the Feast of Matzah, and we have Bikurim, not Bikurim. We're good at that one. Man, we like that one, don't we? Yeah, yeah, let's let's celebrate that one. (laughs) So in in Bikurim, which is first fruit, okay? So we have uh, Passover, and then when we're partaking of the Seder, we're entering into the first day of unleavened bread, and then... Uh, the day after the Sabbath during that week, we have the Feast of First Fruits. Right? How long does matzah last for? How, the, the festival. How long, is, how long does matzah last for? I don't know. Forever. You know, it doesn't really have an expiration date, does it? You know, it tastes the same now as it did a year ago. It's just, it, it doesn't. Anyway, so how long does the Feast of Matzah last? Seven days. Very good. For seven days, you shall eat matzah. You shall not partake of anything Leavened. There you go. So then we have this time of counting 50 days to a festival called Pentecost Shavuot. One of the things we're not covering that now because we've had that, you know, we've had that time. But Shavuot existed before Acts chapter 2. I'm just saying, you know, I think in this group we understand that, right? But this time that was given, actually, when they came out of Egypt, it was revealed to the people, because this 50 days was a time of preparation, that they were at the mountain, okay? Then we have this thing called summer. What happens in the summer? See, there's no major festivals, no major times or anything like that 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 are in the summer. And in the summer, especially things like this summer, right, it gets... Hot. Yeah, it gets hot. And and what happens when 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 it's hot, we get kind of Yeah. Yeah, we we get kind of lazy, we get kind of lethargic. 
We get, I just want to, like, find some shade and rest, right? You know, get, like, some nice cool water and just kind of kick back and, and wake up when it's over. <laughs> well, that's interesting because Israel went to spy out the land at the season of the first ripe grapes. You know when that is? June, July. June, July. Right in the smack of summer, man. And so here they have the, the season and the test was when, when it becomes uncomfortable, when it doesn't match up with what you're desiring, with what the flesh is wanting, when it doesn't match up with all these things, are you going to follow what God said or are you going to follow your own word, your own way? Because let's face it, I mean, we get hot, we get uncomfortable, we don't cool down, and then how do we respond to each other? See, you laughing, but you know. That's when we find out if we're truly family or not, Right? Let's find out how well we forgive one another, right? Get each other uncomfortable and see what happens, right? It's like, man, I love being with these people during, during tabernacles the rest of the year, right? So this is what we're looking at. This was the time of summer. This was the season of, of testing. This was the time when it gets hot. This is the time when the pressure's put on. And then when it starts to come into the fall, we start and kick all this off with a day called Yom Teruah, which is supposed to be a very loud, shouting, rejoicing day. Let me put it this way. Teruah is also the word for alarm. Translation, wake up. <laughs> it's time to wake up to make sure. If you've fallen asleep, now's the time to get ready and prepare yourself because right around the corner, the king is coming, and when he comes, he's going to judge. That's atonement he's looking for. So this time, this season we're entering into, is a time that's supposed to be loud and joyous and, and, and exciting and wake up. Because the world is falling asleep. It's getting groggy. It's getting weary. It's getting tired. And God is calling his people to wake up. Hear that call, right? Now, then we have Yom Kippur, which is, the Day of Atonement. Literally in Scripture, it's not Yom Kippur, it's Yom HaKippurim, Day of Atonements. Okay, we'll cover that next week, but literally it, it's not just, we think, okay, atonement, so the, yeah, Aaron went into the most holy place one time a year, and that's not true exactly. He didn't go in one time, he went in one day. There was only one day he was allowed in, but he actually went in back and forth multiple times because he had to make atonement for more than one thing. Okay, so we'll cover that next week. But then is Sukkot. So what happens during Sukkot? Sukkot is a time of dwelling. It's a time of celebration. It's a new beginning. It's a time of entering into his presence to enjoy that, that new time with him. So what we have here is prepare the way. The trumpet is sounding. The king is coming. Then when he comes, he will judge. After he judges, we will enter into this time of dwelling together. And the eighth day, what's eight? New beginnings, new season, we'll be entering into a time of eternity. So what we have is that the spring feasts talk and testify of when he was here, and the fall feasts talk about when he comes back. See, this is really nothing new in the sun there, right? So the spring feasts, summer, that's our testing time, that's our testing ground. And then we go into the fall, good seasons. So we, we start these on the first day of the seventh month, Right? So how do we know the first day of the seventh month? Well, I just look at the calendar. What if we ain't got one? 
How do we determine the first day of the seventh month? How do we know the times? How do we know the seasons? How do we determine these things? Well, when you were determining the months, they had to watch for the months. How did they watch for the months? What did they look for? New moon. Rosh Chodesh, the new, the new moon, the new beginning of the month, about every 28 and a half days or so, they would have to start paying attention to see when the new month was starting, see? And the reason why they, they, they did that was because how do, you, how do you know which month is coming and why was that important? Because you had to know when these festivals were. You had to know when the times were. So we know what season that we're in, so we know how to observe, okay? In other words, we, we, we're not going to start looking for the new moon in the middle of the month, right? But when we're approaching the end of the season, the end of the month, or the end of the days, hello, we start looking for the signs of the new beginning. And we look up to see if they're there. And when they're there, it will be announced with trumpets. Now, are you starting to think of something here? This is why one of, the, one of the things they call Yom Teruah is the feast where no man knows the day. We are given a date for it. And a lot of the feasts we are given a date for. The only other one we're not given a date for is uh, Shavuot because we have to count the days, right? But here we are given a date, and it's the first day of the seventh month. So what happens if we fail to be diligent to look and to search? And we miss it. And five days later go, oh, yeah. I missed that. Is that what that sound was? <laughs> when the trumpets start calling and everything, right? Yom Teruah, there's a time that we're given, we have to hear something. We have to listen for something. Not just to look for something. We have to hear something. We have to listen for something. So if you go back to Leviticus 23, we read the portion about Yom Teruah. It's 23.23. Uh, and then I said to Moshe, tell the people of Israel, the seventh month on the first of the month is to be for you a day of complete rest for remembering. What do we call a day of complete rest? It's, it's a Shabbat, right? So there's, we're not doing our normal work. We're not doing our normal things. And it says for remembering. Okay, so we think, okay, to remember means don't forget. Well, that's part of it. Because scripturally speaking, when we're told to remember something, it doesn't just mean don't forget it. Because to remember something means you are acting on behalf of that which you're told not to forget. So we have an action that's associated with remembering, right? It's not just saying, Keep it there so you don't forget about this day. It's when this day comes, you act on behalf of it. So what is our response to it? What is our acting on behalf of it? We've got to hear the sound. We, 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 we rest, and we're not doing the normal things. Why? So that we can focus where we're supposed to focus. So that we can take a look and watch for him and listen for the sound to see what we're supposed to do and when we're supposed to go, Right? Okay, it's the first day of the seventh month, the day of complete rest, a holy convocation announced with blasts on the shofar. Do not do any kind of ordinary work and bring an offering made by fire to Adonai. On all the Moedim, there was an increase of offerings. In other words, there was an increase of devotion, right? Because what were the offerings? We forget, you know, the offerings that were given, this was modes of worship. So when they came to bring their offerings, they were worshiping, right? So on all the Moedim, there were an increase for the offerings that the people would bring. Why? Because they were there. <laughs> they were there. They were in Jerusalem. They would, they would bring of themselves, and then they would rejoice before the Lord, right? Plus, we do read in the Scriptures where it says, when you come before the king, do you come before him empty-handed? Right? Numbers 29. 
In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. It is a day for blowing of trumpets to you. Not just you shall blow the trumpets, but it is a day of blowing trumpets to you. So it's not just the sound of the shofar. It's that we are to hear the sound of the shofar. Okay? And you shall offer the burnt offering for a sweet savor to the Lord, one, uh, one young bull, one ram, seven male lambs, a year without blemish, a meal offering, the flour mixed with oil, three-tenth uh, parts for the bull, two-tenth parts for the ram. Again, this is what we're talking about, the increase of the offerings that were given during the Moedim, right? So all of these we're looking at. And then we read where the trumpets were supposed to be sounded. When we say trumpet, we automatically think shofar, right? Or the little, the little ram's horn, right? The ram's horn shofar, or the big ones that we have, right? But it wasn't just the ram's horn that was sounded. It was the silver trumpets. And we find that the silver trumpets, there's a lot to be taught on the silver trumpets. It's not our focus on here today. But the two trumpets, they were to be made together. Silver deals with redemption, deals with refining. And so the two silver trumpets, how were they made? Hammered. When you hammer something, what are you doing with it? You're fashioning it and you're shaping it. You're molding it into a, a prescribed image. So they were made, they were hammered into their shape, and when they sounded, they were to sound the same. They weren't to have two trumpets blowing two completely different things because the trumpets were to signal the people to take action. And there were different actions that had different sounds that went along with it. So if you've got one trumpet sounding the people saying, okay, it's time for us to prepare to go to war, and you've got another trumpet sounding, hey, guys, it's lunch. <laughs> what are you going to get? Slaughtered is what you're going to get, <laughs> okay? So, so we have to make sure that we're listening and preparing for the sound of the trumpet. And let's make sure that the sound we're hearing is the right one. See, there's discernment in that, right? Okay, when is the seventh month? It's confusing, right? Because you hear all the things with the calendars and all the different things going on. It's confusing. So when is the first month? Okay, the head of the month, according to the biblical calendar, is the month of Nisan or Aviv, right? This was marking the time for redemption. This was marking the time that Israel was supposed to follow. When you read through the scripture and it talks about in the fifth month and the seventh month and all these other things, you know, uh, the, the, it's following when was the first. It's not January. It's the month of Aviv. And Aviv means spring. So the first of everything is the time of spring. Isn't it interesting that Yahweh said when they came out of Egypt, he said the, the head of all the months for you is to be this month that you came out, and it's a time of spring, a time that's renewing, a time when life is bursting forth, and a time when he brought them out. Yeah, no coincidence there, right? He's giving us physical reminders of what he wants us to do, right? But let's cover this. How many New Year's are there? Is it schizophrenic New Year's, or how does this work? Okay, it depends on what you're counting on. Depends on what you're counting for. Depends on the purposes. Right? There's two main: the biblical and the civil. Okay, the biblical calendar starts in the month of Nisan or Aviv during the springtime. The civil calendar starts in the fall on uh, Yom Kippurim, and they're counted for different things. Counted for different seasons. Like when they Anoint new kings. When the new kings are consecrated, what, what calendar do they follow? They, they follow the one that starts in the fall. But when they're talking about the Moedim, the biblical times, and, uh, and prophetic events and things like that, what, when are they talking? They're starting from the biblical calendar, right? How's this confusing? Well, let's keep, let's keep looking. Better uses four cycles of years. That'll be fine. And again, they have to know when to count for certain things, like this. 
the biblical month is Aviv or Nisan. The Elul is the sixth biblical month, and that starts the new year for calculating animal tithes for the priests. So if you would say, well, when you gave the offerings for the priests or the tithes that went to the priests, a lot of them were had to be this kind of animal, animal within this certain year, within this age. So at what point do they start counting for that age? So they had to establish that. Okay, so this is what they were looking at. Then the civil Tishri is the seventh month. Traditionally, it is the date that the world was created. Maybe, maybe not, but it's still interesting when you look at all, at all the midrashes that are there. It's also used for calculating the vegetable tithes and the start of the sabbatical and jubilee years. Think about that for a minute. For the uh, jubilee years, the sabbatical years, the Shemitah years, and the, and the year of Yovel, 50th year, when is that proclaimed? For the uh, Jubilee years, the sabbatical years, the Shemitah years, and the, and the year of Yovel, 50th year, when is that proclaimed? Yom Kippur. So it is pronounced on Yom Kippur, not back in Aviv. It's pronounced on Yom Kippur that it is the year of Jubilee, the year of rejoicing. So, the, so they start counting that in the fall. The 15th of Shavat, or Tuba Shavat, is also the year for the trees. What's the deal with that? Well, when you have a tree that's fruit-bearing, produces fruit, it's uh, three years set aside to the Lord. The fourth year, it's given to the Lord. And fifth year, it's every, everyone can partake of it. So when do we start counting? What time do we start counting when something can be used for everyone and good for purpose and good for all? So there had to be a time set to start that count. Now, if we really think about it, it's really not as confusing as we think because we have a civil calendar that runs from January to December. We have a school calendar that runs, I don't know, it changes. <laughs> Roughly August, right? <laughs> yeah. Man, ours used to be September. Yeah. It's like, man. But August, right, starts in August. Then we have a fiscal year that you have to file your taxes by April. Yeah, you better. 14th and a half. <laughs> they got no qualms about getting after you for that. <laughs> So it's really not that different than what we're used to. It's just we're not used to like, okay, so these dates, they use these to reconcile times for certain and specific things, okay? So when we read as far as the biblical calendar and the things that are happening there, we got to understand we're starting to look back at Aviv, okay? So they're establishing the times and the seasons. In Genesis 1.14, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs. Seasons, days, and years. So this is why that when they determined the new month that they looked up to see where the moon was at to see if the new month was starting. Right? This is a new cycle. Because the moon's pretty, pretty consistent, isn't it? Every 28 and a half to every 30 or so days, it does a full rotation. There's cycles involved in that. There's cycles involved in the word that we're given. Psalm 104.19 says he appointed the moon for seasons. The word for seasons is Moedim. So to be able to help establish when we're supposed to do what? Luke 12.35. So here we have a parable. And this is what I'm getting into for this. So to know the times and the seasons and to be prepared for when these seasons are upon us so we're not caught off guard. Right? Let's look. Luke 12.35. 
Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service, have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch or in the third and he finds them awake, blessed are those servants. That's pretty amazing, just that. It says when he comes back, he will gather his servants in and he will serve them. He will what did he do to his Talmudim? What did he do with his disciples? And if he came here the first time he came to came to proclaim and to search and to find out his bride, well, when he comes back, what's he doing? To take her, <laughs> right? 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had not known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Okay, so what, what is our response to that? To be awake. It doesn't mean never sleep, okay, but it's just to be awake, to be aware of the times and the seasons that we're in to keep watch because he is coming back. And when he comes back, we don't want to be caught off guard, nor do we want to be caught with illegal entry. You know, <laughs> Mark 13. So concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard and keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like the man going on a journey. When he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, though each with his work, he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, is stay awake. Matthew 24, 36 says, But of that day and the hour no one knows, not even the angel of heavens, but my Father only. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 and 2 says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need that I, uh, anything I've written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware of the day the Lord will come like thief in the night. Hmm. Well, what does that mean? It means it's unexpected. It means you're not looking for this to happen right here, because like you said earlier, if you, if you know the thief is going to try to break in tomorrow night at, at 3.54, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Second Peter 3, 9. But the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should eat, reach repentance. And that's, that's where we need to focus. His desire is that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How do they start with this? This is the, pro the proclamation, prepare the way, get ready, prepare yourselves. The king is coming. And he's coming for his kingdom. He's coming for his people, right? Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to live your lives in holiness and godliness? The things that are eternal are not the things that we see. The things that are eternal are the things that we don't see. So are we living our life for the things of eternity or are we living our life for the things of here? Because here, it'll all pass away. Verse 12, So waiting for and hastening for the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, we're waiting for what? The new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells, right? Right? 
we read about it in Isaiah, right? He says the new heavens and new earth that he creates, which, by the way, just as a side note, what does he say about that? That in, in the new heavens and new earth that he creates, all flesh will come before him and worship on Shabbat and on Rosh Chodesh. So verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him, how? Without spot or blemish and at peace. Yeshua is coming back for a bride that is without spot or blemish and at peace. Hmm. So what do they do? I want to read part of a, uh, a part of a book. I'll, get you, I'll give you the reference at the end. Um, that I think fits this very well because we're talking about a wedding. Talking about the, why do you think Yeshua talks so much about a wedding? Why do you think he talks so much about a, a, a bride and the bridegroom? Because it fits the bill. fits the time of, of the, the summer, and then in the fall feast, he's coming back to, get, to grab his bride, right? So let's take a look. Leviticus 23, 23. Yahweh said to Moses, say to the Israelites, on the first of the seventh month, you were having a day of rest, a Sabbath, a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts. Do no regular work. Present an offering made by Yahweh of fire. This is uh, the gifts that, that were given. So they hear the cry, and what is their response to when they hear the cry? To go out to meet the bridegroom, right? So once the groom's father gave the final approval of the inspection of the bridal chamber, because he says, I go prepare a place for you, right? So if a, a, a husband was to take a bride, he had to prepare a place to bring her home. He wasn't going to bring her home to live in dad's house, right? He had to prepare a place to bring her home. So when this was done, the father would give approval. Son, you did a good job. Go get her. And then he would go get his bride. So. The father would give his approval to the inspection of the bridal chamber. The bridegroom would leave his father's house with his best man or friend to gather his bride. These men, along with many other companions, would travel to the bride's home, typically at night, carrying torches to light the dark streets, as mentioned in Jeremiah 25.10, if you're writing references down. And uh, another reason for the custom is that the candles and torches represent light and joy, which was present at Mount Sinai at the wedding between Yahweh and Israel in Exodus 19. Shavuot, guys, right? So it tells us the Israelites were accompanied by lightning, and Yahweh was accompanied by fire, and couples today still use the candles at weddings for enhancing their joy. As they drew close to the bride's home, the men would blow trumpets, sounding the shofar like the ears of Jubilee, sounding the shofar, prepare, prepare, get ready, and they would shout, announcing the arrival of the bridegroom, sometimes even calling out the name of the bride, sometimes calling out for the bride. Hmm. Think about that for a minute. And they would shout, announcing the arrival of the bridegroom, calling out, and then the bride with her attendants would come out to meet the groom and enjoy his procession filled with musicians, singers, dancers, back to the prepared place which she and her beloved would enjoy the marriage supper together. From the book, Here Comes the Bride by Richard Booker. Pretty cool, huh? So does this include us in any way? Absolutely. But now if you hear this, don't you have a different perspective on Yom Teruah? So when this trumpet sounds and he's telling us to prepare ourselves, the king is coming, what is he coming for? To, take, to get you. And, he, and, and, and this tells us a lot about your relationship. Is he coming to get you or is he coming to get you? <laughs> See, it's all about perspective and relationship, right? <laughs> so these are things we keep in mind. 
Matthew 25, 1 through 13. So then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. We hear this, we talk about this, there's a lot talked about that, right? And, and they, they, they most often emphasize the, the, the oil and the fire and things like that. We'll cover that, but I do want to point out something. So, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, summer, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and so the five foolish fell asleep. I'm sorry, say again. They all were asleep. They all fell asleep. Even the ones who were wise, they fell asleep. Because, it's a, okay, we're ready. Are we there yet? You know. So that's it. It's, so, it's like Moses on the mountain. Right? He goes up and they're like, oh man, it's been 40 days. We don't know what happened to Moses. He must be dead by now. Let's make a calf. You know, I mean, man, let, let's not, see, let's not get caught. And, and okay, he hasn't returned yet. So, well, that's it. I'm done. Let's do something interesting. You know, I mean, no, don't lose heart. Don't lose focus. Don't lose sight. Keep your eyes on the goal. Keep your eyes on him and keep working in the kingdom for what he's calling you to do. Okay? So here. So, so as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. And it's not like <laughs> a cry. Okay? This is like the loud shout. Okay? A cry. You know, crying out, yelling, screaming. Something that's that, that no football game could ever compare to. Okay? So this is like loud screaming, shouts. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Boy, that'll startle you awake, won't it? <laughs> So then all those virgins arose, and they trimmed their lamps. They all arose and trimmed their lamps. But what happens if you put the wick in, you go to light it, and there's no oil in there? Your, your wick burns away, and then you ain't got no light. Huh. So the fool said to the wise, give, give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. And the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and you, go to the dealers and buy for yourselves. That's a nice way of saying, who do you think you are? Go get your own. I bought this oil. Let's get your oil. Go get your oil. Right? Let's face it, guys. There are some things you can't get from somebody else. You can't rely on somebody else's anointing. You can't rely on, on the life of somebody else to sneak you in. You got to have it. You got to be prepared. Right? So while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Notice this. The five were foolish, but they were also virgins. They were also those who were set aside. They were also ones who were looking for the bridegroom. They were also the ones who were following in the path and following in his ways and doing what they needed to do to prepare themselves. But when the time came, they didn't have the oil. See, obedience without the heart doesn't produce anything. But obedience with the heart to do it produces righteousness. So afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, open to us. And he answered, he said, I don't know you. So watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Okay, Luke 18, 8. So when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Wow. That's a pretty heavy question. And, you know, honestly, he never really answers it. 
He never really gives a solid answer to that. He makes, the, he makes the question, he puts it out there, and he never finishes it. It's a sobering thought. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will, there, will his people be faithful, especially when many will fall away? They'll, they'll, they'll go up to the point, but when the time comes, they just fell short. Will we be faithful to the end? Will we hold on? Will we hold fast? Will we have the heart to follow him no matter what? They heard the cry, they got up, and they trimmed the wicks. There's an important thing in that. Because even in the trimming of the wicks, there's a priestly duty of trimming the wicks. Because the Levites, when they had to serve in the Mishkan and in the temple, they had to daily trim the wicks of the the menorah that was there. And what what do you do when you trim the wicks? You cut away. Because if you have a wick that's really long, what does it do with the flame? It's, It's a lot of smoke. It's not a very pure flame. There's a lot of smoke, and, it's, it's, and it could, like, leave residue all over the place and everywhere. But if you trim the wicks and make sure the wick is good, make sure the oil is pure, you get less of that. It's a better fire, a better flame. So if you don't trim the wicks, it can get to a point where it can actually cause the oil to not burn properly. And you could even put out the fire because you didn't trim the wicks. we got to do that. We have to make sure that we're trimming the wicks daily. And it's funny because they went in twice a day. When incense was offered, they had to make sure that the, that the wicks were trimmed. And this was part of their responsibilities all the time. Exodus 27, verse 20, You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. Who provided the oil for the tabernacle? The people. The people brought the oil. So, again, let's go back to, to, the, to the brides. Five had oil, five didn't. So five were following their responsibilities to provide the oil for the fire. They didn't provide the fire. They provided the oil for the fire, right? So in the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord, and it shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. Numbers 8, 1 through 3. So Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you light the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light over against the candlestick. We read this, and it says, literally, the light shall shine towards the face of it, which I'm not going to get into that, but really interesting. Then Aaron did so, and he lighted the lamps thereof over the candlestick as the Lord commanded Moses. Leviticus 24, 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning. How often? Regularly, continually, constantly, okay? Uh, Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly, and it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and he shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. So part of our responsibility for Yom Teruah is to make sure we have oil, and make sure we're prepared to get lit. <laughs> yeah, play on fun. You know, I did that intentionally. You got to make sure that, that, that we have that oil so that we can have that fire. When the fire comes and is applied, that, that it burns properly. That it, it gives off the right kind of light. Right? So Yom Teruah. 
Yom Teruah, by definition, is this. Yom is day. What's Teruah? Now you see it up here. What's Teruah? Acclamation of joy, a battle cry, an alarm, the blowing of trumpets, joy, jubilee, sound, loud noise, rejoicing, shouting, a high and joyful sound. Interesting that, that this sound could be a high and joyful sound, and it can also be a battle cry. When the sound comes, it will finally be known our adversary is gone. Oh, boy, that's exciting, isn't it? So this is, is this some quiet, somber kind of day? No. It's a time of rejoicing. Teruah is from the word ruah, which means to split the ears with sound. How loud do you think that is? Yeah. So when you hear the sound of these trumpets, when you hear this call, it's not some little quiet thing. It's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of shouting. And it's a time to split the ears with sound. When he comes and these trumpets sound in the last days, I guarantee you it's not going to be quiet. It will shake the earth. Think of Sinai when he says the sound of the shofar. The shofar sounded and it shook the earth. It shook the mountain and people trembled. And God blows that shofar again. It's going to shake the earth. So there's a time coming when he will sound the shofar over his people. We find in Zechariah 9, 11, it says, As for you also, the blood of your covenant, I have sent forth your prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. Turn to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare, I will render double unto you. When you have bent, bent Judah for me and filled the bow with a frame and raised up your sons of Zion against your sons, O Greece, and made thee as a sword of, of a mighty man. Verse 14. And Yahweh shall be seen over them, and he shall, and his arrow shall go forth as lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet. That word in the Hebrew is shofar. And the Lord God will blow his shofar, and it shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. And the Lord of hosts shall defend them, and they shall devour and subdue with sling stones, and they shall drink and make the noises of the wine, and they shall be filled like bowls and at the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be as the stones of a crown lifted up like an ensign upon the land. Interesting when you find things of when God blew his shofar. You know, we even find it in the book of Joshua where God blew his Aleph Taf shofar and the walls of Jericho came down. Because if you read it, it doesn't just say, and the people sounded the shofars and the walls came down. That's not how it reads. It reads, so the people heard the sound of his shofar and they shouted, I bet they did, and the walls fell down. Hmm, interesting, isn't it? So what's, what do we do? Well, we need to be waiting. But, we, but in our waiting, we need to be watching. And we need to be listening. We need to prepare ourselves to hear that call, okay? The problem is there's a lot of people waiting, but they don't discern the voices that they're hearing. The sound a trumpet makes is a voice. So they're not discerning the voices that are going forward. They're not discerning the voices that they're hearing. So they hear a voice. They're like, wow, that sounds cool. Let's go to there. And then there's a voice over here. That sounds cool. Let's go over there. And we're not learning to grow anywhere because we're not planning anything. We're constantly being uprooted and running around. We have to learn to discern the voices we're hearing, right? Especially when everybody's trying to tell you what you should do. You have to make sure you're discerned to hear what the Father is wanting you to do. 
1 Corinthians 14, 8, for if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for battle? Remember that analogy I gave a little bit ago? The two trumpets are to have calls to sound together. And the certain calls meant certain things. If you're not discerning the call, it might not go well with you, right? So the shofars are voices. In Matthew 3, 3, it says, For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Who's he speaking of? John the Baptist, Yohanan, right? He is the voice crying out in the wilderness. And then Mark 1, 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Luke 3, 4, written in the book of the words Isaiah the prophet. You get it. So how is he like a voice or like a shofar? Doesn't Isaiah 58 say, lift up your voice like a shofar? Yom Teruah, it's a time to do what? Time to rejoice. It's a time to hear, but it's also a time to proclaim. It's a time that we need to remember and to act on behalf of Yahweh and his kingdom. It's a time that we're to, to set our hearts on him, set our focus on him, be kingdom-minded because he's coming, and when he's coming, there's 10 days from Yom Teruah to Yom HaKippurim. So when that trumpet sounds, there's a, there's a very limited amount of time to finish the work. Psalm 98.6 says, With the trumpets and with the sound of the ram's horn, do what? Make a joyful noise before the king, Lord. Psalm 89.15, Blessed are the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. Did you know where it says, Blessed are the people that make the joyful sound? That word joyful sound is teruah. Blessed are the people who know the teruah of Yahweh. Why? Because they're listening, they're waiting, they're watching, and they're helping to prepare and announce the way for the coming king. Joel 2.1 says, Blow the shofar in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mouth. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. The day of the Lord comes and is close at hand. That is the call. That is what we pray we're ready for. And that is what we're joining to.